Everybody hear me okay? It's beautiful outside, huh? Hey, Beth. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love the snow. You guys know that. I do find it interesting, though, and, and for those of you online, uh, we have, I don't know, what do we have, four inches or five inches? Somewhere around there, four, five, six inches out there. Still snowing. It'll be eight feet by the time we're done. <laughs> Snowed in. Praise Jesus. We're just going to worship. We're going to worship, right? Pretty sure that's how they say it down south, but... Now, I love this story. I, I do find it interesting, though, because, and Beth knows this, I've been praying for snow. Right? Not, not, to, not to pray against her at all, because she's been praying for, for good weather and summer and all that. I've, I've just literally been praying to try and cancel out her prayers. That's all. No, I'm kidding. I do find it interesting, though, that, um, <laughs> that, this is basically the first or second time it snowed this year, right? This year? Well, uh, okay, I mean this season. And, and it just happens to start on a Saturday evening, you know, to hit us on a Sunday. Um, how Satan tries to take something that's good and mess it up, and God takes that mess and makes it great. Amen? That's, that's, what, that's what worship is and and when he gave me this word as i was just speaking with him last night and he gave me this this uh picture that you guys see up here and really the the picture that i had i couldn't quite do it cuz i didn't have enough time to mess with it but really the the picture that i had was the a was an airplane and it had these wings so i i tried to kind of make it look like that but but literally, what the worship was, was reaching places that we could not reach. That's what an airplane does, right? An airplane reaches places that you normally can't go to. I normally wouldn't be able to go to Nigeria, right? Except that I'd get on a plane and go over there, and go over there rather quickly, Right? It, it, instead of how it used to be, where you get on a long boat, a boat ride, then you have this long wagon ride, and that's why people didn't get around. But it's extraordinary what worship does, is it affects places where we're not. It certainly affects where we are, absolutely. But we know that it affects places that we're not. And it breaks through atmospheres for that, that, that very thing. And I'm so appreciative for everybody being here this morning. I, I think that's a, that's a testament and a testimony to this very idea of worshiping together. And the power, by the way, there is power in single worship. And we're going to talk about that. But there is extraordinary power in unified worship together. That's why Satan doesn't like it. He wants to keep us apart. He would love more than anything for us not to be able to worship together. You know, thank the Lord for online because then we could be connected with the 
with what we're doing, you know, the preaching and all that, unfortunately, our equipment doesn't allow for the connection with the worship. Hopefully it will one day. But there's something about worshiping together that it just breaks atmospheres. It breaks bonds. I know, what was it, a two weeks ago or a week and a half ago when Bryn had texted us that, that Carson's um, temperature was going up. And I can't remember if it was Bryn or Jeff. One of them told me later that, that the moment they realized that, he goes in, closes his door, he's on his knees, his hands are up in the air, and he's shouting out worship. Do you think he gets the fact that worship is drawing your sword? Yeah, he does. Because what happened? His temperature came down, didn't it? See, God responds to worship. Why? Because we have great voices? No, thank the Lord. (laughs) Thank the Lord that is not the prerequisite. No, he responds because of our heart. He, he responds because of our heart. He said, David, in all the things David did, David was listed as one of the, one of the greatest men of faith in Hebrews 11. He was in the hall of faith. Right. Why? Because his heart was a heart after God. When we worship, if we have hearts after God, there is an effect that happens. It becomes war. It becomes warring against the enemy. You know, I find it extraordinary that we kind of, we know the understanding and the knowledge of what Satan did before he fell, but we really don't connect it to why worship is so powerful. See, he had the number one position in heaven. He was responsible for what? He was responsible for all the worship. He was responsible for all the worship in heaven. Now, how insane would that be? How insane would it be the worship of heaven when you see God? I mean, honestly, when you see God face to face, I promise you, you will not be able to do anything else but worship. I promise you that. When, when I saw him that time that I was taken to his throne room, and, and I mean, I knew it was him. All I saw was his feet. The rest of him was covered in a cloud, but I knew it was him. I couldn't do anything but worship. That's all I could do. I had no other choice. Because worship is recognizing who you are before the Father. And, and boy, that, that, go, that go, just goes into so many things. Because humanly, then we think, well, yeah, yeah i got to think that I'm not that great. And, 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 and so when I go before Him, I'm, I'm not that great. And, and, and I'm just laying myself down before Him. And, and, and then He can pull me up. And you know what's funny is the opposite of that is true as well. Where you go before the Lord and you recognize how incredible... You are to God. And how much He loves you. See, those are two opposing views, but yet both are correct. Because, see, it doesn't depend upon God. It depends upon our heart. If I go into worship with a haughty heart, then, yeah, I need to realize 
how, how magnified he must be with me diminished. But if I go just opposite of that, if I go into worship thinking I'm nothing, that's just as wrong. Because see, then that sword becomes not useful. You have to recognize who you are in Christ. You have to recognize His love for you. You have to recognize that you are a sword that He wants to wield. And I know I'm preaching to the choir or the worship team. Right? I know that. But in reality, how many times do we step onto the battlefield not recognizing the power of our sword? How many times do you face a battle and think, you know what, just like Carson did, shut the door, I need to worship. I need to worship right now. Because there's nothing else that'll, that'll fight this battle for me but me recognizing who I am before God and Him recognizing and seeing me and letting me know who I am before Him. Nothing more important. You know, it was interesting what Shannon said. Shannon prayed my heart this morning. Shannon prayed my heart because she said, do you, do you recognize, do you remember all the promises that this church has been promised? And, and i got to tell you, this has been so heavy on my heart for the last two weeks. Or not, not even two weeks, since Friday, since Caleb, we heard about Caleb. I, I, I would say, you know, you, can, you could describe it as I've been in a funk. You could describe it as I've been in warfare. You could describe, however you want to describe it, I don't care. But since that Friday, what has come against me is Satan trying to tell me that the promises are not true. All right. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Because on the same, on, in the same instance, God is telling me, you need to believe. Do you believe? Because there is power in that faith. Now that isn't to say that it won't happen, or if it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't believe and you had a lack of faith. Right? And the church puts that oppression on people. But you know what? i got to tell you, there's something to that. There is something to that. Because I can tell you, if, if we as a church did not believe, then we would simply move on as the rest of the bride. Wondering what happened to those promises. When God said, you've got to believe. You've got to believe. When he said, just the faith of a mustard seed could move a mountain. If our faith had nothing to do with that mountain moving, he would have said, just by my will, that mountain will move. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, if you have the faith of even a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain to move and it'll move. See, welcome to my mind. This is what's been going on in my heart for the last eight or nine days. And I am determined. And, and please understand, my belief has not wavered. In fact, it's dug in. 
I do believe. I believe everything he's promised. But I want to tell you the way the the enemy works. When you believe, when you make a statement of belief, he's going to begin working against that in ways that somehow, I don't even know how he knows, but somehow he knows it's going to bother you. I don't even know why the thing with Caleb bothered me so much. I mean, obviously it bothers me. I don't mean like that, but but it was, it, it was such a shock to me. It was such a surprise to me. I didn't expect it at all. If I had thought through, I, I could have thought, okay, well, certainly this is a possibility. But literally the day before, God was showing me what he had for Caleb's life. We're, we're sitting on a roof together. We're working on this roof together, and God's showing me what, what he has for Caleb's life. And so, so, now I don't know if Satan knew that somehow. I would imagine he probably did. And he probably asked for the right to sift my faith. But he will not win. Because everything, everything God showed me about Caleb is true and will be true. Everything that God has promised this church, promised each one of you individually, is true and will be true. Each one of you knows what it's like to buy a car, for the most part, except maybe Yvonne and Praise. (laughs) Right? We know what it means to go out, find something that you want, figure out what's in your budget, get the money together, put it down, and get that car. I remember my first car. My first car was a 1975 CJ5 Jeep, one of the most awesome vehicles in the world. And, and back then, amen, that's right. Back then, there, there wasn't this idea of, you know, I was 15 years old, and it wasn't like I could go get, get a loan for it. You know, back then, in the olden days, right? They had loans, but probably not for a 15-year-old. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I went and I did get a job. My, my, my mom did, uh, ice cream in front of the Air and Space Museum, and, in Washington, D.C., and so I went and worked with her, and it was, I think, six days a week, I don't know, 30 hours a day, if that's possible. (laughs) The hours were insane, but I did it for one summer, and I worked up and made enough money to buy this Jeep, right? So it it was important to me. I had value in this Jeep. I understood what it would take. It cost me an entire summer of everything. Why do we think that these promises that we're given are just there to receive? Why, did they, why do we think there's no cost factor in those promises? We, we already have the concept down because we save up money to buy things. It's the same way with his promises, but that currency is faith. See, I believe I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Carson's going to be healed. I know it. And every day that I wake up and I say I know it, I put a down payment. I put a down payment. This entire church and everybody else involved, 
we place a down payment down. When we declare that day, I believe it. I believe it, Lord. I know it. I believe it. Down payment. There's a payment toward it. Because at some point, at some point, that faith is going to be matured to the point where God is ready to do it. I don't know if he's waiting on the amount of faith that's required. Or if it is all the things that have to be put in place. I don't know. Really doesn't matter. Because put in place is not my job. The faith is. The faith of believing is. And so believing in that, it's warfare. It's on that battlefield every day, every moment of every day. Because Satan doesn't want you to believe. He showed me, the Lord showed me three instances that I want to kind of go over this morning. Because worship, it's, it's just so much more than singing. But, but I do want to say worship is singing. Okay? Can you worship without singing? Of course. And, and is there worship in other forms? Do you worship when you give your tithe? Of course. Do you worship when you pray? Of course. But there is something specific to worshiping through song that has power in the Word of God, has power in heaven. And I think it has to do with the very reason why Satan fell in the first place. Because he started to recognize the power that that produced. Worshiping God. And him leading in that worship. And then him, him having pride in his heart because he wanted that worship for himself. But there's something powerful about the song worship. And I want to throw you, show you three instances. In these instances, we have three different types. And, and I don't mean three different types of worship. Three different um, situations where worship was required. The first one was in a defensive posture. Where the enemy was coming after them and they didn't know what to do. They went before the Lord and they worshipped. The second one was neither a defensive or offensive posture. It was simply combating the enemy that wanted to alter a course. And then the third one was taking ground. It was a purely offensive posture. But in all three instances, it was about singing. It was about bearing one's heart to the Lord in worship. Father, we worship you, we praise you. We invite your Holy Spirit to this place, Lord. And I ask, as I have already asked, but I ask it out loud, Father, that you speak every word through me that is yours, none of my own. I give you my lips, I give you my hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears. I give you everything to do with it as you will. Speak to our hearts, Father. Encourage us. Whatever we need, Lord. Whatever we need. We just give it to you, Father. And I, I ask that the things that you want declared 
that you bring them to my mouth, and I will declare them in this realm. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is when Jehoshaphat becomes king, and he was a good king. And, and it's interesting, he, he was, he was alive. Now he, he was the king. This was after, after Israel's split. You have Israel and then you have Judah, right? And, and Israel at this time was led by Ahab. We know Ahab because of Jezebel, right? And we know all that stuff. Anyways, just to give you a little backstory, um, uh, chapters 17 through 19, I believe it is, is where, where Ahab and Jehoshaphat come together and they go to fight this, uh, this, this equal, or fight together this other king. And, and Ahab, through the whole process, is prophesied and he dies, right? Then Jehoshaphat comes back to Judah. And then that we find ourselves in chapter 20. We'll begin at verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast through all of Judah. I want to stop there for a second. Because this is also something that's been on my heart a lot lately. I haven't brought it before the leadership team. I've talked with Wendy a little bit about it. Talked with Alexis a little bit about it. But I know Wendy is already on a fast. She does a fast January of every year. But but this has been something that's been on my heart. That the Lord's been won't say until recently, I won't say he was telling me to do it, but I I think he was maybe hinting and, and, you know, the connection was fuzzy. (laughs) But the last few days he's been very clear. He wants a fast. Now, I I don't know if he's calling for the whole church to, because I do know, I do know something coming up that will require the entire church to fast. And that's kind of what I've been waiting on, but, but he told me to fast. And I want to encourage you, if the Lord has been speaking to you to fast, I'm starting tonight at 6 o'clock. You know, I, I always start the in the evening. But if, if the Lord's been leading for you to do something, I would encourage you to start this fast with me. I have no idea how long it'll be. You know, Lord just said, let's, let's start with three days, and then from there, we'll go from there. And I, I have a feeling it's going to be at least 14 and perhaps, perhaps longer. I don't know if it's going to include when I'm, when I'm gone to, uh, Nigeria or not. But when you want to get his attention, you fast. When you want to get his attention for him to recognize that you are saying yes to his will, you fast. So that, that's just a side note. I wanted to mention that. But, but that's what Jehoshaphat did here. He said, first he was afraid of these, of these armies coming against him. 
His reaction was fear. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judea, or all of Judah. Verse 4, And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, and in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord, now you can imagine what's going on. These armies are assembling against you. Right? I, I, anybody seen the movie Troy? Okay, so four of you will understand what I'm talking about. In the movie Troy, where, where all of, of these enemy ships, I think it was a thousand ships come against Troy, and Troy was this high-walled city, and, 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 you know, they're looking out and they're seeing this, it, it, just this invasion force coming against them. You can imagine how that would make you feel. See, so many times in, in that day and age, what these forces would do, they wouldn't try and breach the wall. They would surround it and they'd wait them out. Because most of their food is grown outside the walls. So they would lay a siege on these, on these cities until the cities would literally starve themselves out to where they either all die, they kill themselves, or they give up. So you can imagine the fear that was on these, these people here, Jehoshaphat and, and his people. They had just, it, it just previously come from war, where Ahab, the king of Israel, who they had partnered with, which wasn't good in the first place, but, but he died. And so you can imagine in their mind, I can't even call on him to come help. Right? They are literally by themselves with an overwhelming force coming against them. And so he stands before the court, this, this new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. He's establishing that he knows who God is. He's not trying to remind God who God is. God knows who he is. Right? He's trying to tell God, I recognize who you are. I know who you are. Are you not the God? Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. He's reminding him of his promises. He's reminding him of what he did in the first place to give them the land that they were on. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. Saying, if that, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. That's the first deposit of faith. Reminding God that, oh, by the way, us coming here, we know the outcome. We have faith in the outcome. You said that you will hear us and you will save us. Verse 10. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab 
and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, as he's he's speaking all of this, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children. And I love this. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. Now, do you know what that means? The Spirit of the Lord came on heavy on him and literally spoke through him. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it does. The son of Zechariah, son of Beniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. That would be a really long card. <laughs> right here, here's my business card, and flip it over for the rest of it. Yeah, okay, sorry. Had to throw that out there. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Right off the bat, he's saying, get your mind right, first of all. Get your mind right. Thank you for coming to the Lord, but get your mind right. Have faith. Because this isn't your problem. Now, not that you don't address the problem. Yeah, I mean, if you don't address it, it's going to come after you. But this isn't your problem to take care of. It's your problem to trust God in. How many times do we face that in our lives? When we do something God tells us to do, and then we hit a problem over it. Sometimes seemingly huge problems. He's saying, don't forget, it's not your problem. It's God. It's God's. Tomorrow, verse 16, tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. However you pronounce that. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. (laughs) Now, recognize that's like a promise. Right? That's like the Lord telling Jehoshaphat and all of Judah, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Hasn't done it yet, though. He didn't say, hey, go look outside. I've already taken care of it. They're already dead. It's not what he said. He said, go out, go against them, but don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because you will not have to even engage. But I need you to go out 
Because I need you to see what I'm going to do. I need you to see that the promise I am giving you right now will be fulfilled. What do you think would have happened if they didn't go out? I don't know. See, going out was their payment of faith. It was their statement saying, we believe you, we trust you. We know it. And we've seen that throughout the Word of God. And by the way, they got to see. They, they, had, they already had the Torah. They had what had happened when, when Israel was taken out of Egypt. And all the promises fulfilled. And, and even more than that, when they went into the, the promised land with Joshua. <coughs> and time and time again, how, how the miraculous happened. They have all that to go on. Just like us. We got all that to go on, including theirs. But God said, it doesn't matter. You still got to go out. You still got to go out and face them. He said, tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat's response in verse 18 was, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And I love verse 19. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Now, what you don't recognize here, and we won't take the time, but these specific groups of Levites, they were the choir. They, they were the ones summoned to sing. So, so literally, right at the beginning, what is the first Response when they get this promise from God. Don't worry, just go out. God's going to take care of it. God said, I will take care of it. You don't even have to engage, but you have to be out there. What's their response? First thing they do is worship. Worship. Why is worship so important? Is it because of the words we sing? Is it because of our voices? Is it because of the unity? That's because of the recognition. I don't know about you, but when you worship, I can tell you with me, I can come into a place disconnected. Disconnected from the unity of the room, disconnected from the atmosphere, disconnected from what what God might be doing. But when I begin to worship, It's like God begins to take ropes and just connect them back how they're supposed to go. So I'm no longer disconnected, but I'm connected. I'm connected with Him. See, that comes from my focus and my heart focused on Him. Not worrying about what's around me and yet engaging in what's around me. Do you see the difference? But that focus of worshiping Him, lets it's kind of like opening up your heart and saying, go to work. Go to work, God. And as a, a premier surgeon, He goes in and He just works those disconnections in our heart to where we are connected with Him. We are connected with the surroundings. We're connected with each other. And when that's the case, 
That's the short, the sword coming out of the sheath. That's when God said they're ready. The moment they worshiped and gave everything to him and that statement of faith saying, yes, we believe you, God. We worship you. You are the king of kings. We worship with a loud voice. And then what did they do? Verse 20, and they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Judah of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. He didn't stop there, did he? No. He said, believe his prophets and you will have success. In other words, what he's saying is, trust what I said. God didn't just show up amongst them in the flesh and say those words. He did it through a prophet. He spoke through a proven prophet. Let me say it that way. A proven prophet. See, God understands that it's through these giftings is how he gets his word out. That's why prophecy is subject not only to the prophet, but there's a responsibility to the receiver to Make sure it's correct. Right? And how do you do that? Because, guys, there are some things that you just can't prove out. Right? I have told you what the Lord told me about the Washington Monument. That it's coming down. Right? There's no way for you to prove that out. You can't go down to the Washington Monument and bang it with a hammer and say, Yeah, it's about ready. There's nothing you can do to prove that out except one thing. Your spirit with the Lord. See, the Lord is not going to tell me anything different than he will tell somebody else. Truth is truth. Now, he may reveal different things, but truth is truth. He will not say to me, the Washington Monument is coming down, and then say to somebody else, the Washington Monument is not coming down. See, God is not divided amongst himself. So how you prove that out is your own relationship with the Lord. See, there's not a single time when, when, and we have many prophets in ignition, that, that whether it's ecstatically or whether it's just a, a word of knowledge or, or a word of prophecy, there's not a single time that I don't weigh that in my spirit. We're supposed to weigh that in our spirit. But I can tell you from weighing that in my spirit, then I stand in agreement with it. Then I can receive it as a promise, and it's not just something that, that was promised outside to somebody else. That was promised to me. Because I understood him, I understood it in my spirit, and, and I literally linked with it. That's what was going on here. He's saying, your faith is required. Believe in God. Believe in His word that He has delivered to you through His prophets, and you will have success. This is Jehoshaphat saying that. That was his statement of faith, saying, if we just believe, do what he told us to do, step out when it is absolutely, impossibly hard to step out. 
If we do that and we believe, we will have success. Verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So Jehoshaphat knew what the real tip of the sword looked like. It was the worship. It was the praise. It was the connection in song. Verse 22, And when they began to sing, the moment they began to sing, the Lord set an ambush. Now recognize they're already out there. Okay, they have stepped out in faith because God said, step out. This is outside of the walls. Step out and let me show you what I'm going to do. So they stepped out with the singers out front. They're worshiping, they're praising. And, and once they are out, once they have stepped out and they began to sing, the Lord then began, he set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction, and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Uh, One of these days, I would love to see something like that. I mean, see, this isn't the first time this happened, but recognize what's going on here. (laughs) Jerusalem comes out to watch this, and all of a sudden this horde of people that are going to come against them just start fighting each other. Until these two conquer this one, and then they just start going after each other. Now, I don't fully know what that is, except that the Lord intervened like He promised. He fulfilled His promise. He fulfilled his promise and it came as a result, first of all, of seeking God through fasting. But second of all, worshiping. Giving him that sword or that spear to put in his hand, full of faith that it will happen. And it did. I want to look at another example. Go to Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas were put in prison. This is the story where, where they're in the, uh, in the streets and that young girl is following behind them and behold, you know, the way of salvation and all this. And Paul finally gets tired of it and says, demon, get out of her. And people got really upset. Her owners, because she was a slave girl, her owners, she, she had no more prophecy in her now. And her owners saw that and that was a lot of money to them and, so they stirred up the city against Paul and, and he was, he and Silas were put in jail and beaten. Now imagine that. I mean, we're, we're good old American thinking. We, we think this, this honorable way of justice, you know, you're, you're, you're arrested, you know, you might get a little, little nick on your arms with, you know, when the cuffs are put on, but, but you're, you're taken to jail. Everything's, you get three meals and all the, okay, that's not how it was. That's not how it was back then. It was like, 
we will beat them, not enough to kill them because then we'd get in trouble, but we will beat them to satisfy the crowd. So they were beaten and they were put into prison. Now, you can imagine Paul thinking, I don't know this is how it was supposed to go. You know? Or maybe he did. I mean, he was told before his ministry began what he would have to do in cities. I don't know if he was told of this specific instance or not. But you can imagine, if he knew he was going to be beaten, he probably would have handled that girl a little differently, maybe. But he stepped forward in faith, just doing God's will, and Satan came and fought him to get him off track. See, recognize what was going on in that city. Revival was breaking out in that city. People were believing in that city. Satan wanted to shut it down. And when Paul called away that demon, that was his chance, because apparently these must have been people that had influence. And so they had him put in prison, had him beaten. What did Paul do? Uh, and let's, let's see here. Uh, we'll just start at verse 16. We'll just read down. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave. Oh, wait, no. Let's start it. Yeah, he was beaten and all that. It started verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I don't know about you, but would that be my reaction if I was in that kind of pain? Would that be my reaction if I was thwarted from what I thought was God's will? What I'm supposed to be doing, I was taken from there. So am I going to be confused? Oh, Lord, what, what happened? I'm not supposed to be here. People were accepting you and then all of a sudden this happens. I'm confused. What about your promises? What about your promises? What about what you said? These people will come to know you and you said this revival will break out. What am I doing here? Wouldn't that possibly be our reaction? But it wasn't Paul's. No, Paul and Silas began to sing. And I, I don't know. I, we don't know if he had a good voice or not, but I, I'm just going to guess he probably didn't. And that didn't stop him. Being in all that pain didn't stop him. See, Carson, when he was in that pain, it didn't stop him. It drove him. Does it drive you to worship? When something comes against what God has said is going to happen in your life, does it drive you to worship? See, it, it drove Paul and Silas to worship. And, and don't think for a second that these were just little happy-go-lucky songs that we learn in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know. No. I think they were pouring their heart out. Because the one thing they could do is sing. I think Paul's thinking in the back of his mind too, we have an audience. So God, if, if I can't reach this city, maybe I could reach these jailers. But I want you to recognize what happened. So they're singing and worshiping and praying, just like what we do on Tuesday nights. 
Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. I don't know about you, but that's not a little tremor. Okay, that's not just a little thing for a iron barred gate that is locked to literally come off its hinges. That was, that was heavy duty shaken. So much so that, that the, the head guard, the captain, he was thinking, oh my goodness, when he saw all those doors off, he, he thought, I'm, I'm dead. I'm responsible for this. Yeah, it was, it was an act of God. It was an earthquake, but I'm still responsible. He goes to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're still here. We're still here. You know those guys you beat? Those guys that are all bloody and, and without any reason, we're still here. Don't worry. We're still here. We're just praising God. Sorry, got a little, little out of hand because God's reaction to our praise sometimes affects the atmosphere. <laughs> sometimes it, it just like rocks the foundations of where we're at. We're sorry about that. We didn't mean to ruin your jail, but we're still here. Because, see, God put us here. We don't know why, but he has a reason. And see, that jailer got saved. And I would imagine the entire jail got saved. And see, that's where true revival broke out. It was in him trusting God in his promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you, ever. Even in a prison... Even when you've been beaten, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, Paul trusted in that promise. Do we trust in his promises? When, when it doesn't look like what he promised is going to happen. Or, or, you know, maybe we got it wrong because it hasn't happened yet. Or Satan throws something in there that makes it look like it's impossible now for it to happen. Do we still believe? Do we double down on our payment of faith? That's what Paul did. So in this case, Satan tried to alter. The first case that we had was, was a completely defensive posture with, with the children of Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, the, the, their enemies coming against them. They had a defensive posture. They praised they worshipped, and God delivered. In this one, Paul was on, uh, he was on the path of God's will. He was doing what God wanted him to do. And in the midst of that came this sidestep. I don't know, jail to me wouldn't be a small sidestep. <laughs> be a big sidestep. It was an altering situation. But yet, it was that very situation that required God's promises to come true. So that was the second one, where he worshipped, he praised. It wasn't in defense, it wasn't even in offense. It was in his situation. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. I trust you completely. 
I give it to you and I worship and I praise. I want you to turn to Joshua. And I'm sure you thought this one was coming. This one's obvious. Joshua chapter 5. Actually, let me, let me go back. Just uh, the last couple of verses of... of uh, or did I say chapter 5? Yeah. Let, let's go to the end of chapter 5, verse 14. Where Joshua, all of a sudden this man is before him. And he said, I am the commander of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face in earth and worshipped. And said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. See what he was saying is, I'm God. And he received worship. No, if that was an angel, he would not have received worship. That was not an angel. That, that, was, that was what uh, uh, theologians called a theophany. It, it was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. You can imagine Israel was just all around them. That, that siege I was talking about, that's, that's what was going on. They have just came over the, the Jordan. They had just reconsecrated themselves. The, the first city to go after is Jericho. And that's where they find themselves now. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. <laughs> I love that. It's like, don't you see? Nothing's changed, by the way. It's not like they opened the doors and said, yeah, come on in. Nothing's changed. But God said, don't you see? I've given them in your hands. They're in your hands. They're yours. It's yours. Ignore the guys with the bows and arrows on top. Ignore the fact that the walls are too high to get over. Ignore all the things that would keep you from going in. Don't you see? I already gave it to you. He's saying that. He's, I, I love that. See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march. And then he starts to tell them how. He gives them the promise first. He said, this is what I'm going to do. Now let me tell you how I'm going to do it. Just like the first example that we talked about. He told them what he was going to do. And then there was a plan to get there. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, the ark of the covenant. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, And the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. 
The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle around the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now, I want, I want this in your brain, what's going on here. Okay, this is not <coughs> 20, 30 people going around this place, right? This is, this is probably the better part of a million people that are doing all this. All of them together, unified in what Joshua has told them to do. Now remember, they learned the lesson from 40 years before, where they disobeyed the Lord and did not get in. So now, I, you can imagine they're probably like, oh no, we'll obey. We'll obey no matter what. Because nothing's as bad as what we've just been through the last 40 years. Well, most of them weren't alive then, but... And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early. At the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. What power did God use to bring down those city walls? He didn't use a battering ram. He didn't use, like in Sodom and Gomorrah, meteorites. Right? Fire from heaven. He could have done that too. He could have done it a million ways. He could have, as the Lord of hosts, stayed there with them and said, why don't you just wait here one second... Let me go take care of this. Walk over, blow the gate away, take care of it. Walk back. Okay, there you go. Could have done that. But no, he needed the people to engage their voices. They engaged their voices because what is spoken in this realm is important. God said, to his disciples, what you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. In other words, he was saying, I need this partnership with you to do in your realm, and then I will do in mine. Now, I don't know why God set it up that way. <coughs> I have an idea. Because it was his choice to make us partners. I mean, wow, think about that. How many friends do you have that would give up that kind of control? None. None. They don't exist. And yet God did that to become partners with us. But it wasn't just for the sake of that relationship. We still have to do our part. 
That's why when we worship in this realm, when we declare, you've heard a lot of words about declaration, when we declare in this realm, when we pray and declare, when we do it, we do it every night on the prayer call. We do it Sunday mornings, we do it Tuesday nights. When we declare there is power in that, just like there was power in this offensive strategy of God. He said, line it up and then shout. When I tell you to shout, shout. Because it it will be that very declaration in your realm that allows me to move forward because of the faith that you're pouring out at that moment. It's extraordinary. Imagine a million people shouting. But not just shouting, Hey! Hey! That's not, no. No, they were shouting with belief. They all knew what the Lord of hope, first of all, they knew who it was. I'm sure because Joshua told them. Joshua knew who it was because he worshipped him. And can you imagine if he went back to the people and said, Look, I just talked to God and here's what he said. He said, we're going to do this. And when, when I tell you to shout, shout. Because then the walls, that city, that great city is ours. So you can imagine for six days they've saved their energy. They saved their voices. I would imagine none of them had voices at the end of that. Because they laid it all out. Now this is an example of offensive faith. Offensive worship. See, worship isn't just for when things are tough, man, turn the, turn the worship music on and, and, okay, I'll feel better. It is for that. And we've talked about that. Worship can have a defensive posture because it reconnects you, reconnects your faith with the one who made the promises in the first place. But it's also, we worship when we're sidestepped from what we thought was supposed to happen. Wait, wait a second, Lord. I really thought we'd be in a building by now. Sidestep. Worship. But see, we also know we're in a new season. And that new season is offensive. But yet, the warfare doesn't change. Still worship. He just tells us how to apply the worship. There is something that's going to be happening. And I can tell you, he's shown me visions of it for almost a year. I can tell you what what brings the breakthrough will be the worship. And we have two things. One, the worship that will really bring us to that point. Which, believe me, you want to be at that point. We want to be at that point. Because that's, that's that first domino. Right? That's when the floodgates open. That's when the walls of Jericho come down. And, and it, it's going to take faith to be there. Believing. Believing what God has promised. Believing the prophets that have said it. Why? Because it's been proven out. 
We're in sync with God's Spirit and we give faith to what He's promised. Do you believe His promises? Do you? I mean, sometimes His promises can be so extraordinary, Satan has an easy time of telling you, yeah, you kind of got that one wrong, that's a little big. It's a little big for you. You know, that, that's proof that this is a little whacked because that's a little big. Do you believe? Because <laughs> it was a little big, all, the, all those that came against Jerusalem. It was a little big, the entire city coming against Paul and Silas. See, it was a little big taking this city, this fortified city that could have lasted a long time and it being destroyed. That, that's a little big. Do you believe? Do you believe in the big? God's told me some insane things. Many I've shared, some I can't. But all of them, he's sitting there and saying, do you believe? Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Because I need that partnership in your belief. I need that mustard seed so we can move the mountain. So this is where we bind together. Because if one mustard seed could do that, imagine what 50 could do. I mean, imagine. Imagine it. Do you believe there are barriers against what God wants for your life? What breaks through those barriers? Sledgehammer of faith. That's what breaks through. I believe. I believe God. And nothing will get in the way of my belief. Not Satan who ridiculously sends this, this storm. Trust me, he wanted us not to be together. That's exactly what he wanted. So with that sledgehammer of faith, I believe. With that sledgehammer of faith, I believe in the promises for your lives. In the promises for my life. In the promises he's given us for Nigeria. We still haven't heard about Gary's visa yet. He goes tomorrow. So we haven't bought the tickets yet. We leave in two weeks. I keep, I keep looking at him praying, okay, don't go up in price. Don't go up in price. And they haven't yet. I believe. I believe. I know what God's going to do in Nigeria. I know what God's going to do in Carson. I know what God's going to do in this church. You know the one that is not talked about as much? Because I, 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 think, I think to a certain extent, Extent, maybe some people think of it more as abstract. But do you know a promise that the Lord has made us? Ignition. I mean, Ignition Church is that His Holy Spirit is going to fall on this church. Don't think of that as abstract. Like, well, yeah, you know, they're going to get the Spirit. Yeah. I'm talking Acts chapter 2 on steroids. Good steroids, not bad steroids. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's promised us. He's, he's promised us 
that there would be fire around this house and there would be fire in the building that will that will be in that there will be fire that people see okay do you do you understand what i'm saying people that are not saved will see fire they will come to this house thinking this house is burning and they will say are you okay yeah we're just praising god come on in See, these are what He has told us. This is what He has promised. He has confirmed it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that when that happens, life as we know it is different? It was. It was for the disciples. I mean, from that moment, life changed. Something changed in Peter, boy. He, he was a different person. Study his life before and after Pentecost. He's two different people. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God wants to? Do you believe he wants to do that in your life? Do you believe he wants you to be a part of that? Or do you just think, well, you know, thank you, Lord, that I just get to at least be part of this church because when you fall on them, I'll get a little peace. If you're here, you're here for a reason. We've said that a thousand times. There's no accidents. No accidents whatsoever. If you're connected with us online, there's a reason. There's a reason. By the way, the Lord showed me something really cool. Because I, I, I keep asking him, why are we online? You know, why, why does he want us online? It's just weird for me. We have more people watch us online than we have here. <laughs> so maybe I should preach to this. I don't know. <laughs> but but to me, to me, I, 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 I'm like, you know, how, how is that intimate? You know, I know your word goes out, Lord, but, but the intimacy is not there like it is in this living room. And he said to me that the purpose of being online isn't for right now. Because it's a record. And what people will watch in the future, they'll go back and they'll, I mean, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions will watch these videos. And they will see your faith. They will see the steps that are taken by your faith. Because they'll be working backwards, seeing what, God did do, and his promise that he did fulfill. And they'll look at it and say, where'd this come from? How'd this happen? And they're going to look at these tapes and see, it's because they loved him. It's because they had relationship with him. It's not because they're smart, clearly. Right? It's not because they're rich. It's not because they're talented. Because they know how to shout. They know how to shout. They know how to sing. And, and I'll tell you, one day we'll, we'll, we'll be able to have our worship online. Because that's the power of our faith. Is when you just say yes and you just lay it all out there for him. I know, I know some of us are in real tough spots. Desperate places. We are as a church. But do we believe? Do we believe in his promises?
pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you. We praise you. And Lord, I declare that we do believe. We do believe in your promises. We do believe and trust you in what you're doing. And we will not be dismayed from that. We will not be dismayed. Every promise that you have given, we claim. We claim because you have given it to us, we have the right to claim it. And we declare it will be so. I declare that this first domino of of Carson being healed, fully healed, I declare it will be so in Jesus' name. I declare other things that I've been battling this week that I won't even say right now out in the open, but Father, you know my heart. I declare I believe. I declare I believe. I will pay the price of faith. And I ask, Father, that you increase our faith. Even what we were, call, we were called for in, in, according to your will, Father, I ask that you increase it from there. Because honestly, God, that is the only thing that we can give you, is our faith. Encompassed by our yes. So God, increase our capacity to give back to you. We love you. And we, we wait, I, I wish I could say patiently, but we will wait. We will wait for you. We want your perfect timing. We want your perfect everything. Because all of that also has to do with faith. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what a great reminder to believe. I, uh, I kept hearing the word agreement, agreement, agreement. And, you know, when we think about the big promises, let's start with the little ones, which is what we're going to be in agreement with in the smallest ways. You know, the Greg and I were talking this past week about um, the concept of worship, and I didn't know that he was going to come up with that graphic and teach that. But we were talking about the power of worship because the Lord had laid on me again, Second Corinthians 10, which is the, if the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God, then isn't it a matter of declaring how mighty he is? Because, you know, all these worship songs that we sing, his name, his name is victory. You know, um, we are, we are conquerors through him. Um, all these things. It's basically a matter of being in agreement with that and declaring that Satan's a liar, which we know. Because, see, if Satan can get us to agree with him, then he really, we're in a place of defeat. And, and I just have to share with you really quickly. Um, I've, I've, it's a gift to the ladies' class, but it's also a book I've been reading, um, Ever Increasing Faith by Smith Wigglesworth. It's not in the book, but, but a story that was told, I don't believe it's in the book, a story is told by a lady that came to his meetings years ago, and she was prayed over for healing. She had a terrible case of gout in her foot, and her leg and foot. And she left, and she just declared to the group, Thank you, God. Praise Jesus. I've been miraculously healed. So she leaves, and people that knew her never saw with their own eyes that the gout went away. 
So the next year she comes back to the meetings and she was one of the first ones to want to give a testimony. So I've got to tell everyone what God did for me. Jesus healed me. I've been miraculously healed. Praise God. Praise God. And everybody was kind of, okay, you know, and they would look at her foot and see that it looked the same. There was no difference. And so she just, you know, she just kept testifying how she was healed. She was healed. Then the next year, she came back again, couldn't wait to be the first one. Please let me testify. Please let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me let me tell you. Well, finally, there were some people in the meeting that said, you know, this is the second year that you've been back and you've been just, you know, declaring that Jesus healed you. And I don't see any difference in your leg. And if she was just bothered by that, she went home and she prayed and she said, God, she said, would you please help these people who don't believe that you've healed me? Would you please help them and, and change the look of my leg, change this, this condition so that people will see that you really did heal me two years ago? And God instantly healed her. From the time that prayer was done, there was no more visual of the gout. And I thought, I don't know, that story just sat on me because I thought, what kind of faith would it take to be in that kind of pain, discomfort, but yet be so walking in the spirit that when God spoke that you were healed, you just believed it every single day. You didn't let the circumstance that would try to lie to you and say, you were not healed. Okay, you're, you're whacked. You, you must have just had a good cup of coffee before that meeting. You were not healed. She never let any circumstance let her waver from believing at that moment that what God spoke would happen just as he said. And that just has just stayed on me and stayed on me. Not just for the big promises of ignition and the big promises, but even for the promises that what is coming against you, who is God in that situation? You know, am I in agreement with what I see in the human realm or am I in agreement with who God is and what he has spoken in the spirit? Because that agreement will make or break me. That is the difference between walking in victory and being more than a conqueror. See, when you're more than a conqueror, doesn't mean our circumstances immediately are conquered. Yeah. But everything about our salvation means we are already walking in victory. Satan's already defeated. That's why he works so hard to get us to agree with him. So even today, even this afternoon, even with what it will take to get us home, be in agreement with his character, with what he's spoken over you, with how loved you are, so that it never wavers based on the things that people say to you. Um, the, the next person outside of church that you may encounter may try through Satan, may try to get you to agree with that you're not loved, that you're not valued, that, you know, you're not going to make it, that this is going to come against you, this isn't going to change. <laughs> that little crossroads is the moment that you either believe or you don't. See, Sometimes some of us believe for the Carson. We believe for the building. But we don't believe when we look in the mirror and those demon voices want to say, who do you think you are? You are a joke. You are not, you know. If he can get us to agree in the little things, he's got us. Because yeah. he's laying a foundation that will never break. We, we can't be ready for the big breakthrough when we don't believe for the little things. So it's, it's just think about that and, and start with the small because that's how you walk step by step by step. Before we leap, we walk. Before we walk, we stand. Okay? And, uh, and that's what I love about Psalm 1 that Yvonne, I've been going over that with it. Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of the scornful, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Um, And it goes on and on. But I love that we sit, we stand, then we walk. So believe for each step. And, And I, oh man, listen to this again. I know I say that every time, but I hope you listen to the podcast. I hope you'll, even this afternoon, get and watch it on Facebook Live. We do have more people today that are watching online, but we need this reminder today. We need this reminder. I know, I know there's stuff coming against many in different areas. And maybe some of you are struggling in an area that you're going, I can't even believe I'm struggling in this area. This wasn't even my thing. And this week it just hit me. Man, we need this reminder. Satan is going to try where we are established in one area. He will come around the corner and try to get a, get into our house in an open door in another area that we kind of thought was a non-issue. And now all of a sudden it might be glaring and you're like, why am I even, what is the deal? You know, why am I dealing with this? Um, so I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I just have a couple of quick announcements, but um, I want to 